And this is not a series about the things that the church does or, you know, some kind of program that we are running and then we're trying. It's, it's really, and you're going to, which is why I'm so excited about the next few weeks. You're just going to hear ordinary people who have kicked off things, not just at FGA, but in our community, just by themselves. Imagine something that you could do right within our reach. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have created us for good works, that you have made us with bodies that have the capacity for action. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we go through this series, Lord, to have our eye on you. What is it you want us to do with our life and our time and our talent and our resource, which really aren't ours? We steward it for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, my name is Pastor Chris. I'm the senior pastor here at FGA Melbourne. Uh, and this is our series uh, on action. It's actually our running theme for the next six weeks. That's right. Our running theme is a running theme. <laughs> As you know, as you know, this whole year we're looking at establishing a firm foundation, and and it's involved us going through the New Testament, uh, reading the Bible. Right? We uh, looked at the major themes. We are covering prayer. We covered prayer. We looked at faith in the real world, and we looked at biblical characters and how they lived out their faith. Uh, right up even to our latest series, where we looked at our personal foundation, which was a series that took an inside look at the inner personal life of a behavior and what the culture is like in our home, how we spend our time, what our motivation is, what our thought life is, these types of things. But hey, all of this great content needs action. I don't need to spend a lot of time telling us that just understanding Learning, listening, hearing is not enough to build a firm foundation. It needs to be put into action, tested in the real world. We are now in the obey section of hear and obey. And just so that we're clear, this is the part that separates the wise from the fools. James 1.22 compels us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Jesus himself would tell a parable about a man who would build his house on a rock versus a man who would build his house on sand. And the difference would only be in the doing of what he's heard. You know, this series, uh, this sermon, we're going to kick off with take off, right? So go with me with the running theme, uh, right? So we're going to begin with, uh, you're on the starting blocks, you're ready for action, you're ready to go. I don't know who runs out into the mountains or whatever it is, but maybe that's where God is calling you, right? So you're on the starting block, you're taking off, and we're looking at the Spirit's Turbo Charge. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may 
obtain it. Okay, uh, I'm going to say in advance now that we might go a little bit over time. So uh, maybe somebody here message Sunday school, but maybe like 11.50. I'll try to go as quick as I can. We'll run to the finish line uh, today. We've got a lot to cover. So um, what are we doing wrong regarding action? Do you know what the most common mistake that we make as a church regarding action is, do you know what we get wrong most of the time? Let's say you're preaching a sermon on action, right, which I'm trying to do right now, and you're encouraging the church to take action for people to be involved or to do something with their faith. I mean, we know it's meant to be active, right? What do you think is the most common issue that we get wrong as a church? Do you think it is people sitting around and not doing anything or Maybe it's we're not willing to address issues that come up or we don't, we're too shy to put our gifts to work. Actually, it's none of those things. I've been preparing for this sermon since last year and we've done a study both through the book of Acts but also through what Jesus says regarding the church and action. Turns out, the thing that we do wrong most of the time, according to Jesus actually, is that we very often take flesh-oriented action. That we do things out of just religious duty. We do things because of our own selfish ambition. We do, we do things. We're always doing things. Turns out, we can't just do things. Because there are some things if we do them, they're not good. And so when we take off, when we kick off whatever action we're going to start, we've got to spend some time thinking flesh versus spirit. Turns out it's pretty easy to do action. Most of us take action. Coming to church today, that's an action. Giving your offering, that's an action. Within the church, you know, we can always ask people to do more. I could preach an entire sermon to say, literally do more. But hey, you know, I feel like we do that a lot at FJ. We always ask people to just like do more. You obviously can do more. But as we kick off this series, I want to focus your attention on actually, let's talk about the right kind of action. The kind of life-giving, kingdom-oriented action that is talked about in the Bible and given as a template for us. So, let's take a moment to just let this sink in. Because flesh-oriented action is so prevalent in the church. It's prevalent in my life, if I could be honest with you, where I just get up and I go, you know what? I can do this. This is what I'm built to do. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. It's prevalent in our lives, and we have to deal with flesh-oriented action. Things like leaders who just want to do things because they want the glory. So they, they want the event to go well. Or they want their home group to do well. Parents who want their kids to be successful in life Great, but maybe, maybe that's a great goal. 
but so that they will look good and they haven't checked their motive. Christians who are interested in their own agenda, so you come to church or you are a Christian because God is going to bless you and that's what you want. So all the action you take is to have a better actual life. Pastors who just want people in seats or people to join the Christian club without actually making them a Christian through hardcore discipleship. That could be flesh-driven, to want a really large church. Of course it can. You know, in Matthew 22, 13 to 15, just as an example, by the way, there's many, many of these, right? But just as an example, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. This is Jesus. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go into the kingdom of heaven. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. That means somebody who converts to Christianity. So you want to get them in, but when he becomes a proselyte, he becomes a Christian, you make him twice as much a child of hell. As yourselves. That means you're getting people to come to church to just do non godly, non spirit led things. So they, they're out looking for their own interest. You say, hey, come to church. It'll be good for you, it'll be a blessing for you. And then we train you to look out for yourself more. Man, that's not good. And I'll tell you, Jesus, he called it out. So let's think about, actually, if you're taking notes, you want to write down. Actually, the, my confidence screen at the back is off, Dong. If you could maybe turn that on, because otherwise i got to look over there. Okay, cool. Um, what amount of flesh-led action do you take in a week? Maybe just write that down, like, hey... You know, action that's not spirit-led, that's not Holy Spirit-driven. And since we're going fast today, I'm trying to go fast today. It's the running theme, right? Um, I'm going to save you some time. If your answer to this question, what amount of spirit-led action do I take in a week? If your answer is zero, you're lying. (laughs) You're kidding yourself. It's pretty high in all of us. It's actually something that the Bible anticipates that we would struggle with. It's in the Bible. The Bible will speak about our need to be vigilant. That we watch, that we are being led by the Spirit, that we walk in the Spirit, and we are cautioned not to walk by the flesh. Walk in the flesh. We're cautioned against this. Why would the Bible say? Presumably, you could just become a Christian and magically, you're always led by the Spirit. No, that's not what the Bible anticipates. Great Christians are reviewing their week and going, how much of my week has been flesh-led versus spirit-led? My response to my wife last night, how I treated my children, how was my attitude when I was at work, the the on Tuesday, Monday, a Christian evaluates his or her actions 
against the things of the Spirit. So, we need the Holy Spirit. I know this is a very obvious statement, but we need the actual Holy Spirit for Spirit-led action. One of the biggest issues our church faces is not that we don't do stuff. My goodness, we are such a doing church. Our biggest issue is that we have flesh-led action. Your biggest issue in your house, in your marriage, with your children, is not that you're not doing things. My goodness, count the number of activities your kids go to. It is, it is that you are not taking spirit-led action. That's the main point for today. So let's put this in context, right? It's the only way to take off. If you want to take off correctly in the right race, with the right goal, if you want to take off with power, you're checking that your takeoff is spirit-led. We'll go to Acts 1.8, where Jesus, he leaves, and he promises the Holy Spirit. This is the era that we now live in. And it says, you will receive power, powerful takeoff, power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then, you, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses being just people who tell it as it is. People are just sharing whatever their experience is, right? Like, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, and then he tells the church to wait. Right? I mean, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, and then he tells the church to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, and you can read this yourself, right? Um, the church goes forth in power. All kinds of things happen. It's such a wide variety of things that take place. In fact, next week, we're, we're covering agility drills. and We're talking about the wide breadth and the flexibility that is needed as we follow the Holy Spirit's inspired action, right? But there is a wide range of things that happen in the book of Acts. The church becomes a voracious force of all kinds of things that take place. Innovation even in society, innovation in the faith, right? And it engulfs not just Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria, up to the ends of the earth. In the book of Acts chronicles that journey all the way to Rome. But how does that happen? It happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit. God gets His way and His kingdom comes. And so the question really is, what part do you want to play? There's something very interesting to note, and I learned it from Mark Hodgetts actually at our ACM uh, conference, which is, so, uh, which is so good. But did you know that the disciples didn't actually follow the Holy Spirit all the time? That's like pretty wild. But in Acts 2, right, so you get this. They're supposed to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes, and they're bam, let's go, take off. And they're like, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And they like Jerusalem so much, they stay in Jerusalem because they know Jerusalem. Did you know that? And then, you get to, so they don't go actually to all of these places of their own will. 
you get to Acts 8. So this is Acts 1 verse 8. You get to Acts 8 verse 1 and something happens. Not, not they sit down and decide, hey, let's go follow the blueprint that we've been given. Something happens. Saul, who becomes Paul, right, persecutes the church, kills Stephen, right? And then there's a great persecution. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, we're all in trouble. And they scatter. They go. They scatter. And the Bible says, in Judea and in Samaria, which was literally the next part of the plan. But somehow, which happens to all of us, is maybe we get comfortable where we are. Maybe we stop listening to the Holy Spirit. Maybe we're like, oh, hey, I can do it. This is what I know. I know Jerusalem. But God has his way. God's agenda will go forward, such as it was here. And then once they shifted, you know what? They were back on track. Then it was God who brought Paul via a divine vision to gear the church up to reach the rest of the world, taking the gospel to the Gentiles, getting all the way to Rome, and now us, and maybe even Mauritius, which was probably last on the, no, later on the list, right? Okay, you know, God wins one way or the other, and we have to figure out, are we going to run with the wind of the Holy Spirit, or are we going to go against God? Are we going to get dragged and kicking and screaming? as God sees his kingdom comes. I think that's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd leads his sheep to the green pastures and the still waters with the rod and the staff. I found that I often have to look for God's hand in both the good things, the open doors, the opportunities, as well as in the bad things. Maybe when there's persecution, there's struggle, Maybe there's closed doors. It's not always that I go through an open door chasing the blessing, chasing the blessing. Sometimes, sometimes it is. Great. But sometimes we're in a dark place, the valley of the shadow of death. And God is with us and he is directing us. Look at Joseph's sermon that we did when Pastor G shared. How can you tell? Whether you're in a good place or a bad place, whatever's happening here, how can you tell what to do, what action to take? You need to look for the Holy Spirit. You need to be Holy Spirit-led. So don't take off without the Holy Spirit. We can do so many things in our own strength, with our own ideas. Can you imagine all of the religious things that the Pharisees did in Jesus' time? Can you imagine all the selfish, man-driven things that the church has done through our world history. I mean, we've gone through times when the church was used as a political agency for conquest. We've gone through the church being used to make people richer. We've gone through the church as an avenue for abuse to take place. I mean, let's be real. These things happen. And it's possible for us as a church or us as Christians to take actions that are not spirit-led. So we've got to be careful. 
Now, I'm not going to address the entire church all over the world and all across history, right? Because we're in a church right now. So I'm going to address our church. I'm going to address you. I'm looking at my own life. What I do, these are the things that we have to ask ourselves. Is what I'm doing Holy Spirit-led? Romans 8, 5 to 6 would say, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, right? But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, for to set the minds on the things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the things of the spirit is life and peace. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna try and go a little bit faster. I'm going a bit too slow. Galatians 5, right? You can look it up. I say walk by the spirit. Great. Don't walk by the flesh. What does that look like? You know, is there a chance that I'm just doing things or not doing things because of my own fleshly desires or wishes? My own agenda. Uh, Let's look at what the flesh looks like. In Galatians 5, it contrasts the spirit and the flesh, and it says the works of the flesh, they're quite evident, really, if you take the time to look at it. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. That means chasing after your own, like, feelings uh, and pleasure. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul's pretty clear that he's addressing the church, by the way. He's just talking to the church, people who have already accepted Christ and they're in the church. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is possible for you to be a member at FGA, sit down every week in our service, and not enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that? One Corinthians three verse three: For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not? of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. So we we need to take off led by the Holy Spirit. One of the things I I hear, and I just want to correct a small, uh, it makes a difference to me, but a small kind of technicality is sometimes I'll hear people say, I'm not going to do anything because I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit. So I won't be a home group leader. I won't say, I'm I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit. And that's fine. That's fine. That's that's good because the disciples waited, right? But here's the New Testament reality. We have been given the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has already arrived. We, you missed Acts chapter 2, right? Now, the Holy Spirit can tell you to wait. That's fine. So you could seek the Holy Spirit. You could ask what God's will is. We have the Holy Spirit with us. The Holy Spirit can tell you to wait, but you don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit to be given. Especially if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Especially if you're a follower of Christ. Right? So, a lot of cases, you're not waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's waiting for you. We're like post-Acts 2. And again, I'm not saying just go and do everything, right? It could be possible that the Holy Spirit tells you to wait. But it's just a technical thing. I do want to clear it. Okay, so let's spend the rest of the sermon on how do I tell if it's me 
or the Holy Spirit. I, I've been rushing through a whole bunch of things. I want to get to this, right? I just imagine most of this church does not want to deliberately do the things of the flesh, right? So how do you, because it's quite confusing, how do you tell if it's me or the Holy Spirit because I'm so godly? <laughs> Sometimes my own voice just sounds like the Holy Spirit. Or the <laughs> you know, that's what I tell my wife, but she doesn't believe me. Okay, so... It's okay, right? So how do I tell if it's me or the Holy Spirit? Well, firstly, so um, which is the whole first part of the sermon. So the first maybe 20 minutes of the sermon, I was trying to say, firstly, you must be willing to be Spirit-led. Firstly, you must go, hey, you know what? Sometimes my flesh gets the better of me. Hey, I want to be led by this. So you've got to begin kind of there, right? But secondly, right? So you're evaluating, secondly, I think the easiest way for you is actually to check the fruit. Right? I'm going to shortcut a whole bunch of things and discerning the will of God and all that. That's a big topic. I'm not going to cover it today. So I'm just going to jump to the very end. One way that you can litmus test at the end of the day all of your actions, right? Maybe it made you richer. Maybe it made you more successful. Maybe it's gotten things worse, whatever. You just look at the fruit because apples don't come from lemon trees. And the Bible, Paul, actually, he jumps to that. So across the New Testament letters, you'll see him many, many times try to whittle it down. How do you know that you're following the Holy Spirit? How do you know? Or Jesus would say, is it bringing life? You would look at the fruit. Let's read that. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are your actions producing these things? It's the net result of the things that you're supposedly doing for God, supposedly doing in your life. Are they of this nature? It's a good question to ask. I think it's an essential question to ask. That's why it's in Scripture there. When Paul tries to address the church. Now, I don't want to play down the spiritual experience. Like, I think it is so important for us to actually have an encounter with God, hear from God, and right? These are really necessary, right? So sometimes we need to get confirmations, dreams, visions. I heard things from God. These are necessary. We literally have run, in this church, we've run home group series, preached sermons, and trained you on how to hear the voice of God and the importance of prophecy and prayer. That's really good. And I don't want to detract from it. But I also want to say at the same time that even the best of us can sometimes mishear. That we can seek God and our own agenda speaks back to us. So let's not be arrogant, but rather let's be humble. Acknowledging that we, no matter how godly we are, can hear God wrong. That we are able 
to make mistakes. That's why it's good to have godly counsel. That's why it's good to be in close relationship with people who know you well and can speak into your life. And that's why there are these safeguards where we go, let's look at the fruit. Let's look at the fruit. The fruit test is my ultimate fail-safe. I think that's why it's in the Bible. Because when you're doing the stuff of the flesh, you can also see the fruit of it. It's got sexual immorality, impurity, you've got strife, enmity, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, these types of things. Now, I want to, um, I thought maybe I'd give an example. We talk about a particular issue, uh, an issue actually that has been weighing on me for a really long time. So I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, never had the opportunity to do it. So I've, 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 thought long and hard about what example to use because there's so many. Uh, I've decided to take an example that is important and prevalent, but maybe it's not the most common one, but hopefully you'll see the difference between flesh and spirit. Um, I think it came out of Holy Spirit-led discussions with our pastoral group of pastors, 29 churches in Whitehorse. We meet together. In fact, it was a conversation I had with Mark Purser, who heads up um, Burwood Crossway. Um, and he's on the board with me on Whitehorse Church's care. I want to deal with the issue of domestic violence and abuse in the Christian home. So, firstly, uh, if this is triggering or you can't handle it, you're very welcome to head out. You can talk to somebody after the service. Uh, we've actually prepped up our pastors. Our home group leaders uh, have got a range of resources uh, available to them as well. Um, but I do want to address this topic. I'm going to address it pretty briefly. It's not going to be a comprehensive description of what is abuse and uh, how you can prevent it or what to do. But it, I feel like it will highlight how even in church, flesh-led behavior can occur. Because you would imagine that a church that follows Jesus Christ would not have domestic violence and abuse within it. But here are some statistics. One quarter of women in Australia have experienced at least one incident of domestic violence by an intimate partner. Um, one in two women have been sexually harassed. One woman a week is killed by an intimate partner in Australia. And that's not just some random person out on the street. It's someone she loves, trusts, and knows, and has in her life. Victoria Police, in 2019, which is the latest stats that we have, dealt with 88,000 instances of family violence. And that's just the ones that were reported. We know a lot don't get reported. Over COVID, there was a 59% increase in frequency and a 50% increase in severity of violence against women in COVID lockdowns. And the reason why it says women, 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 I'm reading through these reports, 95% of all victims of violence, and again, we're just talking about violence, um, whether it's uh, women or men who are the victim, they experience that violence from a male perpetrator. That's 95 Australian statistics. And if I just want to balance it out, right? But I don't know how you can balance out 95%. But there are times when 
men or boys were on the receiving end. And there are times actually that females are the perpetrator. Let's just be really clear. All of it is not good. It's all not on. Right? Flesh-led action, flesh-led behavior can happen to all of us. So this is not about letting people off the hook. I think what is most troubling for me is that it is in the church. So these are stats that I actually have pulled off of a, um, oh man, maybe I shouldn't name the denomination. Okay, so a major Pentecostal, denom- uh, major, a major, <laughs> I've got to be really careful. No, it's okay. It's okay, not Pentecostal. A major Australian denomination released a report. It's public, and I have it. I can send it to you, right? And they did a study because it was so prevalent, right? They investigated the Australian church and their own constituents. And in this study, it's Australian and it's recent, very recent. It's about Christians, and they found that Christians matched society in the amount of abuse that occurs. And in some cases, in some situations, even more, worse. And then they did the study and they looked at committed Christians who go to church regularly. Because maybe not everyone goes. And it was the same. The same in Australia. Not like US random like things. Us. The statistics mirror societies in churchgoers, and in some cases, even higher. And in their report, they, they wrote that faith and church sometimes both assist and hinder those who are experiencing domestic violence. And I'm just reading from their report. Though unintended, Christian teachings sometimes contribute to and potentially amplify situations of domestic violence. Perpetrators misuse Christian teachings and positional power. My goodness, how do we get to that? Because you're flesh-led. Now we know this is covering domestic violence, right? But there's many other kinds of abuse. And and again, I'm not going to do this justice, right? Not everything is abuse, all right? But abuse does occur, and it can occur in a wide variety of scenarios. Whether it's spiritual abuse, or I'm your pastor, you you better listen to me and do all these things and, you know, sell that car and give it to me because I want to drive, whatever, right? Psychological abuse, where I make you feel like, you know, like you are the one who's in the wrong and you are worthless, you don't know anything. Verbal, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, financial abuse, there's even like elder abuse, there's, you know, there's financial where you control all the money in the home, uh, social abuse where you control all the social relationships, you can't hang out with anybody, you have to stay in the, right? So there's a wide range, I'm not going to cover it with enough um, depth that is needed. All I'm saying is that there's a wide range of abuse. It's broadly someone unfairly exerting power over someone else. And now I've pastored in FGA for long enough, in this church for 21 years, and I know it exists here in FGA. And I'll tell you, the kind of people we chat with, you never see it coming. So, it's going to be something we talk about. God language can be used to produce bad fruit. You have to take the abuse. You have to do what I'm saying because, and then they throw in God language, the church language. It's not spirit-led, by the way. It's not producing any of the fruit that we just showed. But it's happened. Action takes place nonetheless. So I want to cover the top three, if I could. Misusing God's word, in particular for a guy, because I'm a guy and like 95%, my goodness. Sometimes 
you hear, I'm the head of the home. That's, I'm the, you know what? You're just going to have to take it. Because it turns out, if you read the Bible, I'm the head of the home. That's rubbish. You are the head of the home, not to lord it over. If you read the Bible properly, you'll see that Jesus specifically says that. You are to be like Christ. I find it helpful to think of head, the Greek word prototokos, prototype, template. You're the template of the home. That means, what does the example look like? Well, you're supposed to be. Christ died for the church. He loved the church so much. He washed his disciples' feet at the height of his ministry. You're the head absolutely, but you're the head so that you could template Christ. Your authority is delegated authority. That means you get your authority from someone else, like a policeman who cannot just say, you have to listen to me no matter what. You only get that authority in accordance to the template that the police department has given you. Two, sanctity of marriage. You can never leave me. You know why? Because marriage is for life. For better or for worse. So you better, you just better take it. No matter what I do, you have to stay in the marriage. Even if I never put any effort in, even if I'm full of selfish behavior and I abuse you, you have to stay. You know what? That also is rubbish. Never sin. And never enable your sin by telling the other person they can't sin. You are being led by the flesh. What a hypocrite. Marriages break down. My goodness, that is such a reality. Like that's, that's what we deal with as a pastor. Hold your marriage to a high standard and do not use God's law to scrape the bottom of the barrel. There must be other things you can do to save your marriage other than to compel your wife to stay with a Bible verse. Maybe you have to give up on your dreams. Maybe you have to die like Christ died. Maybe you have to completely change the way you live your life to something you don't even know how to do yet. But don't scrape the bottom of that barrel and go, here's a shortcut, stay with me no matter what. And I'm not going to try. That's not what the Bible intended. You must forgive me. I can show you so many Bible verses. No matter how many times I hit you in anger, no matter how many times I abuse you, a good Christian forgives. Anyway, I'm sorry. You know, Paul specifically addresses this. We have to, we have to delve deeper into the Bible, actually. Paul specifically says, we are not to use grace as an excuse for sinning. We're not. Romans 6, 1-2, read it yourself. You've got to determine, is grace being used for continuing to sin? Or is it being used as a chance to turn your life around? And maybe, like a, the first few times, maybe, like initially... It's used to turn around, but if this is repeated, if it's actually just used as an excuse so that you can just keep on doing whatever it's been doing and it's been happening for ages, that is an abuse of Scripture. It's not what it's intended for. 
And so at Paul, he specifically addresses this. Anyway, I could go on and on. I'm just trying to give you an example that actually can take place in our own church where if you led flesh, selfish, human motives and behavior take lead, it can even thrive in the church. It can take place in the church. We need to be a Holy Spirit-led action church. So, for people who are experiencing family violence, um, on reach, they're going to put it into the chat, but you can take a photo of this, and I'm going to leave it up on the screen, right? Uh, if, if, if you are a victim of um, family violence, also, if you are a perpetrator, I want to just really make this clear. If you are the perpetrator, you also need help. It's okay for you to call these lines too. Hurt people, hurt people. So on both sides of that equation, you're very welcome to call Crossway Life Care. We know them well. We refer to them all the time. I know the guy who heads it up. Great ministry that they're doing. There's the Orange Door, Respect, and Safe Steps. Any of them, you could give them a call. Um, I've taken time to talk about this because I'd like to think that we're a church that does not have this in our congregation, but we must always be vigilant. We must ask, what is happening in accordance with the Holy Spirit? Is the fruit of my life love, joy, peace, self-control, gentleness, these types of things? We are all not perfect, but we can root out, get rid of the flesh in our lives. So I want to end today's sermon. I don't want to end like on the negative. Uh, but I want to I want to end if I could. And we can call the um, band you're welcome to come up. I want us to ask this question. Is what I'm doing spirit-led? Is my behavior towards my husband or my wife, is that spirit-led? My, my actions with my children, Am I being spirit-led? Is what I'm doing in ministry, is what I'm doing in church spirit-led? Is what I'm doing spirit-led? Do you know what is so wonderful about being spirit-led? I want to end with the truth of it. The truth of it is that the Holy Spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life. It is this great alternative my favorite thing about having a spirit-led wife is that she, in her own accord with God, can turn around and say, you know what? What I was doing was self-driven. And I want to change. God does that with me. He does that with you. Being in a church with spirit-led people is so amazing because we can then have home group leaders, ministry heads come up and say, you know what, I'm sorry for the other day. I, I, I overstepped. Hey, I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really sorry, but what I did was, was wrong. The Holy Spirit's been convicting me. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, it's, it's actually no help at all. And Jesus would say that the words I've spoken to you are spirit So here's what happens. We have our natural tendencies, our weaknesses, our times when we lean into the flesh. But we every day, daily, need to allow space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us in our time with God. That's how we take off. That's how. 
we put spirit-led action into place. That's why I love speaking in tongues. You know, Romans 8, 26, 27 says, you know what? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray, right? We don't know how we're praying, right? So you're sitting down, you're praying, you're praying in tongues, or you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, right? And intercede with groanings, too deep for words. He searches our heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you spend time, space? Is there room in your life and all the action? I guarantee you there's a lot of action in this room. Lots of things being done. You guys have busy lives, full of stuff that takes place. Our biggest issue is not action. It is flesh-led action. And we're not going to overcome it if we don't allow space for the Holy Spirit to convict us and lead us. And that's what's so wonderful. That's why I think the Holy Spirit brings life. That is the power of transformation in the church. That is the power of being a genuine follower of Christ in this post-Acts 2 world that we're in. Where the Holy Spirit can say, what you're doing, what I'm doing is wrong. Or that I should step out of my comfort zone and I should do this, or I should do that, or I shouldn't do this, whatever it is. But there needs to be that space so now while all eyes are closed I just want to I just want you to take this one moment and then I know I've gone a little bit over time but man we we have to get this right we really have to get this right we're, we're not a church that is I'll tell you right now we don't have growth targets at a church we're not like this is not the kind of church We need to be a church that has genuine faith. And so we have to ask this question, every one of us, no matter how long you've been a Christian, what do you want me to do, Holy Spirit? What do you want me to do? All right, I'm going to get uh, maybe Ian lead us in a song as we reflect on that, and then I'll close. But as we... as as worship team plays, I want us to spend that, that little, like maybe two or three minutes. Holy Spirit, what is it you want me to do? 